welcome back to Art Watch Podcast. I'm your host, Tori. It is so great to finally be back. I know that there was about two and a half weeks hiatus there. Um, I'll be honest, a lot has gone on the last couple weeks for me. Um, I got the notification that my classes were going to be extended to online throughout possibly next fall. So I made the call and decided to move back home for a bit. I'm back in Houston, which is nice. So hopefully soon we'll have some collaborations with some of my artist friends and other colleagues that are in art history or curatorial practice, something of that sort. Um, Also, uh, yeah, things were just kind of like hectic with like I had some family emergencies going on. So sincere apologies for not being consistent on putting out these episodes. Um, But yeah, lots of crazy stuff has happened. And yeah, so um, I wanted to start by trying to implement some new fun themes throughout the week. I've noticed that I get a lot of interaction on Meme Monday. So I'm thinking that, of course, like, you know, like everything is partially rooted in social media. Um, So hashtags are everything, unfortunately. (laughs) And well, I guess not unfortunately, but just it's part of the job, I guess. Um, so I'm going to introduce, you might have seen today, or rather, well, today is Tuesday, so I just put it up today. I'm, I'll put this episode out tomorrow, which is Wednesday, Art Watch Wednesday, am I right? Um, so Mondays are going to continue to be Meme Monday, so please submit your memes to me. It can be art history related, history, some sort of student type meme that you think people would find, of course, funny, hence memes. Um, if you made it, let me know, or if you know the person that made it, let me know that too, and I can tag them. If not, you know, like, I know that's part of the meme process, is you might not always know the artist or creator, um, but if you can, let's try and give them credit, so that's always really important, at least for me, I would love to do, give credit as, to as many people as I can. Um, Tuesdays, if you saw today, it's going to be Texture Tuesday, and today's Texture Tuesday is actually going to be what I'm talking about, so if you saw it already, um, it's David Alfaro Siqueiros' Cara de Niño Concentración. Um, I actually wrote a paper on it, and it's super, super interesting, but I'll get into that in a couple minutes. And of course, Wednesdays are our Art Watch Wednesdays. Thursdays, I was thinking we could try Theory Thursday, and I can introduce like a prominent theorist, philosopher, um, thinker of, of the period. I'd like to keep it tailored to Latin America, but of course, like there's so much that's considered under the broad umbrella term Western that is super influential to Latin America. So I'll try and introduce those as best I can. I'll be honest, I myself still struggle with some of the theorists because there's just, I feel like with a lot of philosophers, they talk and talk and talk and talk. And then sometimes you're like, I have no idea what you just said. And I read like five pages. So I will do my best to briefly break it down in the span of like one Instagram post. Um, Also, I'm sorry if you hear my dogs playing in the background. Um, I have three lovable pups, all rescues. Well, one of them isn't, but she's she's chonky, but we love her. Um, So if you hear them uh, grumbling, barking in the background, I I do apologize. But they're my little bundles of joy, so I love them so much. Um, Oh, and there goes Odin. So Fridays, I was thinking we could do figurative Friday. I was trying to think of something that might be fun for Friday. So I could do instead of like an abstract pose, something of course more figurative. Um, and then sort of on the, th- the, spe- the theme of Texture Tuesday, looking at a work of art rather than just um, 
some random, I don't know, meme. I, I feel like I've been posting a lot of memes and I love memes myself, but let's broaden it. Um, <laughs> so if you have something that maybe you created or like you have a friend that made a work of art that's a little bit more figurative, send it in. And I, of course, would be so, so happy to give um, contemporary artists a platform, especially like students who are growing in their practice, um, let them get out there and start building an audience. And if I can help do that, I would absolutely love to do that for you or your friends. Um, and then Saturday, so we'll go into the three-dimensional. It's going to be Sculpture Saturday. Again, if you or someone you know is a sculpture artist and you want to submit some of your work, by all means, do it. And I would love to, love to, love to give you credit for it. Um, <laughs> sorry, my dogs are running around like maniacs. Um, but yeah, so I will focus on the three-dimensional on Saturday, figurative on Friday, which I'll probably, I mean, I know figurative can be anything, but it'll probably be more two-dimensional. Um, but yeah, and then on Sunday, we're gonna hop on that selfie Sunday train, but we're gonna do a spin on it, so let's do museum selfies. And if you want to send in your best museum selfies, whether that's something, I know that there's been a lot of people who they'll post selfies or like pictures of themselves next to a work of art that looks exactly like them or they look very close. So if you want to do that, um, I think that would be super fun. Of course, I will tag you or tag whoever is in the picture, whether it's um, you, a friend, family member, whoever. Um, and then just let me know uh, the institution that you took it at, whether it was your university. Um, right now I'm in Houston, so probably will be MFAH. Um, goodness, they are WrestleMania back there. And yeah, so send in your selfies on Sunday, your memes on Monday and Friday and Saturday. If you want to send in some of your work that's related to figurative or sculpture, by all means do that. And I would love to help promote you too. Um, so yeah, I think that's a great place. Let me pause really quick and I will be right back. All right, so the painting that we're going to be looking at today was created by David Alfaro Siqueiros and it's titled Carre de Niño Concentración. It was made in 1939. It's rather moderate in size, around 70, sorry, not 70, 27 and a half inches by 24 inches and is classified as pyroxylin on masonite. The painting, based on its title, presumably presumably depicts a young man with their head tilted downward, pensively in thought as his head rests on his hand. Siqueiros poses the young boy similar to Rodin's The Thinker, but because of the foreshortened angle that Siqueiros uses to depict the head, there is a non-naturalistic view of the face. With the figure in this thinking position where the top of the head takes up a fair amount of the visual plane, it would be unrealistic to see so many of the facial features, especially the entire top of the head, while the forehead is completely visible. While the viewer cannot see the eyes of the figure, the cheekbones, nose, and pursed lips are visibly emphasized through the use of heavy contrast. Additionally, Siqueiros' intense stylization of the boy is accentuated with ears that appear to resemble smoke, rather than a part of the body. The ears are feathery and come to a point, but because they are painted in a red and yellow brown, it looks as though they are set on fire. This feathery nature is due to Siqueiros' use of airbrushing along the sides of his head and portions of the hairline closest to the ears. The synthetic resin that Siqueiros uses creates a sheen across most of the work and emphasizes his choice in color palette. Siqueiros uses a combination of brushwork, airbrush, 
paint pour, and drips, among other application techniques across the painting, and each create different textures and tonalities throughout the work. These differences form a unique texture that differs across the panel in shine and thickness. The hair and facial features are the thickest parts of the work, with a slight shine which is contrasted with the matted airbrush along the edge of the head where the hair, eats, where the hair and ears meet. The airbrushing makes this region quite soft and delicate, while the face and majority of the hair are quite rough. Part of the reason that art historians and conservators know that the facial features are thicker and have more layers of paint is because on the right side of the forehead, there is a small circle of paint with an impression on the back of a masonite board. Um, this reveals that the work was most likely not dry when Siquero stored it, but also that the resin used emphasized the different levels created on the surface. Overall, the skin of the figure has deep red and brown undertones that Siqueiros builds upon with paint or builds up with paint. Additionally, in contrast to the face, the chest, arms, and shoulders are much smoother despite their thick layering of paint. While these visual characteristics are incredibly important and inform scholars about Siqueiros' techniques, it is equally important to contextualize them within the framework of Siqueiros' larger practice. Siqueiros was one of the most influential and successful artists from, the Me from Mexico in the 20th century. His painting career was closely tied to the 1910 revolution and the aftermath of, of the political reformation on this period. We did talk about that in the last episode, so I won't go into too much detail about it. Siqueiros is known for his radical left polit political beliefs that were reflected in his murals and various works of art. His early career is most associated with the Mexican muralist movement, that was heavily influenced by the revolution. Siqueiros was a young student at the academy during the revolution, and he actively protested with other students for political and academic reform. Like other young artists during this period, Siqueiros began to draw inspiration from the various contemporary and ancient indigenous styles of art, and incorporated some of these styles into his own practice. Rogo writes that Siqueiros' schooling was was during the middle of the revolution, and oftentimes during class, students could hear the gunfire. Additionally, Siqueiros fought in the revolution and eventually abandoned the experimental workshop to fight in the Spanish Civil War. As a young artist and later as a maturing artist, these events would have been greatly influenced or would have been greatly influential to his later career. This is especially evident after the revolution when Siqueiros and his fellow muralists were receiving commissions by the Mexican government. Many of Siqueiros' murals were inspired by communist ideals and the unification of the working class. His work was the most radical of the big three, Los Reyes Grandes, because he tended to focus more on issues of the working class that were related to the aftermath of the revolution, as well as the impact of colonialism and fascism on marginalized populations. However, in the 1930s, the content of his work slightly shifted, through, though in many cases he still maintained communist themes related to the working class and critiques of political regimes in power across the world. Scholars have highlighted this period of Siqueiros' work because it was created during his exile from Mexico. This period was also very influential for his art as it marked a stylistic shift. Lawrence P. Hurlbert, scholar of Mexican muralist, writes that the 1930s was a period where Siqueiros was experimenting with distorting the human figure. This is seen clearly in Cara de Niño as the head is tilted in such a fashion that it almost looks otherworldly. Though there is nothing written about Cara de Niño, a comparable work is Plastic Exercise from 1933, commissioned for the basement of a private residence. 
This site-specific large cement fresco was intended to force the viewer into different lines of sight that change how the work of art is perceived. The figures in plastic exercise were distorted by photographing nude female models pushed against glass, and then Siqueiros projected the image onto the curved wall or ceiling of the basement. The distortion created an unrealistic perspective that shifts as the viewer moves around the work. Similarly, Cardenino has an improbable perspective that also shifts as the viewer moves around the work, making it a dynamically activated work of art like plastic exercise. One of the most noticeable aspects of Cardenino is when the viewer looks directly at the work. The head looks supernatural due to the forced perspective. The face looks devilish because the figure's ears and side of the head are painted in a manner that make them fade into a point, like smoke. Though it is unclear if this type of projection and distortion technique was used in Cardenino, it is clear that plastic exercise had an impact on the painting because of the variety of techniques that are utilized throughout the work. Cardenino allowed Siqueiros to experiment with airbrushing, paint pouring, and in some portions of the hair, there even appeared um, to be the introduction of splatters and drips. Siqueiros' experimental period of the 1930s was also remarkable because of his contact with artists from around the world and worked and from around the world and he worked with prominent artists in the United States, Latin America, and Europe with his establishment of the experimental workshop in 1936. This workshop was was a continuation of Siqueiros' earlier studies of unconventional of unconventional materials. Additionally, it was an important period of for art in the United States because of the New Deal era where public art was funded by the government in an effort to help the economy. The initial artists that Siqueiros led were artists Harold Lehman, Sand Sandy McCoy, I think that's how you say his name, I'll be on, or her name, I don't know, uh, Jackson Pollock, Axel Hort, uh, George Cox, Luis Ferstat, Clara Mall, Luis Arenal, Antonio Pujol, Conrado Vasquez, Jose Gutierrez and Roberto Berecio. The main function of the workshop was to act as a laboratory for experiment in modern art materials and techniques and to create for the people, and to create art for the people. The artists worked collectively and individually to improve their practice and to some degree have a social impact within the group's larger production of art. As a group, the experimental workshop during active periods would make ephemeral art such as floats and posters for various political events they encountered. One of the more notable floats that Hurlbert discusses is the May Day Parade float, in which a young Pollock can actually be seen working on in, in the picture. Archival photos like this help scholars link together artists and how they practice together, which helps historians to understand what types of influences were taken into artists' individual practices. Overall, this workshop was meant to act as both a technical practice studio and a studio to produce socially engaged works of art. Among these works of art produced, Hurlbert briefly criticizes the small easel paintings that Siqueiros made in order to help fund the workshop, calling them, quote, least important artistically, end quote, to the workshop's larger impact. However, just because these works were not in a grand scale and served a purpose of practicality does not mean that they were insignificant to the larger practice. Smaller paintings like Cardenino allow scholars to closely analyze the types of technical experimentation that these, artists, um, that these artists studied. Financially, it would be naive to potentially lose profit on a large commission if the artist was not certain of how the materials would react with each other and how different application methods would appear visually. 
The smaller size of the painting would have been more practical for Siqueiros to understand how different types of paint interact with each other through different types of applications, as opposed to experimenting with these non-traditional methods on a commissioned work. Cara de Nino is classified as pyroxylin on masonite, materials that are considered non-traditional. Tom Lerner's work, a review of synthetic binding media in 20th century paints, discussing materiality is important to, con to the context of Siqueiros' work because the artist shifts to using a synthetic material called pyroxylin, commonly used in car paint. The use of pyroxylin, an industrial material, as a primary medium reinforces Siqueiros' own writings of rejecting the previous canons of art to push artistic practice into a new era of avant-garde. This change in material is significant not only for the artist, but for contemporary art, especially in relation to his experimental workshop. Siqueiros was well known for his experimental use of materials, for example, in his plastic exercise mural. Hurlbert dis details Siqueiros' experimentation with different non-traditional materials such as pigmented cement instead of fresco, industrial car paint, various resins, and his changing types of application technique, depending on the material. Cara Nino, while made shortly after the close of the experimental workshop, reveals to scholars how Siqueiros experimented with material and technique throughout his career. These smaller works are useful for scholars to critically analyze how artists practice and can help reveal what types of dialogues were happening between artists from around the world. So this experimental workshop was actually very short-lived because Siqueiros eventually departed for the Spanish Civil War. Um, of course, like with his earlier career, we know that he was very politically active and even throughout his works, we see that he's very politically engaged with um, governments throughout the world and, and um, places, of course, that he was staying in. So I believe at the time that he created this painting, he was actually in exile from Mexico. I know that he had attempted an assassination on, I believe it was Trotsky, um, who was being held or housed rather um, by Diego Rivera and Frida Kahlo. And there was a whole thing there. I believe Frida was sleeping with Trotsky and Rivera was sleeping with Trotsky's wife. There was a big old switcheroo there happening. I'm pretty sure that happened. I remember, I feel like I read about it somewhere and if it's not true, I'm so sorry. And I'm so sorry if I'm just like adding into the gossip around the around Frida and Diego. And yeah, um, but Siqueiros is such an interesting figure. His works are, I don't know. They're, I love how, I guess, textured they are. And at least some of these smaller works of his, there's like this thick, thick paint um, and also the fact that he is so outspoken about his views. Now, of course, like, I mean, I don't, I don't agree with everything that he's done. Of course, like, you know, I'm not going to agree with every artist. Every artist isn't going to agree with every art historian. The circle continues. But I think that there's something admirable about the fact that he was not afraid to use his position, um, to speak out for like the the wrongdoings of, of colonialism. Um, and that being said, of course, like he is coming from a place of privilege. And another thing that I think is important about this work and the work that he produced from the experimental workshop is the fact that Mexican muralists did in fact influence the United States work um, production of art. Um, and I, I feel like it's something that is not very well known. I think that it, like, while historians do know about it, they still like to glorify 
people like Pollock, who produced a an, a an obscene amount of work. I mean, well, not obscene, but a lot of work. And I think that it's something that many scholars don't recognize, or at least like at the museum level, it's not really recognized the influence that these artists had on on artists from around the world. Um, sorry, these Mexican artists had from artists around the world, um, specifically in what's considered like a Western context. And I think that's something that we need to change. I do know that slowly there have been additions to wall text that point to this, but I think um, it depends on the institution. And just for the average museum goer, you know, like we want to make sure that we're giving them the full story. And of course, this is also tied to who's running the museum, who's funding the museum, and who's funding that gallery, that work of art. Sometimes it's actually the artist's family or the, their foundation that's running it. Sometimes it's under the rights of another organization that bought the work and they can now dictate what is being said about it. So it's not entirely the fault of the museum. Granted, it is a big part, um, but I, I think it's something that we should talk about. And Siqueiros is a really great artist, I think. I know that's it's quite biased to say that, but I think that, I don't know, I, I don't know. I think he's great. And of course, like, like I said, I don't agree with all, a lot of like the political leanings of his, um, but works like this, even though they're they're smaller and they're not considered monumental in the larger scheme of their of an artist's um, portfolio, I think that they're they're great to look at and they're great for us to study. And Carabinino is is fantastic in that we're actually able to see what he was doing and and how he was having fun, I guess, with some of these materials. And just understanding, like, how, how can we move away from what's considered traditional academic, you know, easel paintings to something that's more forward-thinking. And that's why I think that Carolina is, is pretty interesting to look at. And I, I first encountered it at, um, it was actually one of the first large exhibitions that I had seen on Latin American art. This was actually part of Paint the Revolution at the Museum of Fine Arts Houston. I think that was in like 2016 or 2017. Um, but yeah, no, I remember seeing this and I was like, I should write a paper about this. And then of course, like three years later, I wrote a paper about it in my in my graduate class that was part of the object-based learning um, course at the Museum of Fine Arts Houston. And I know I, I, I'm kind of plugging them right now um, and the University of Houston, go kooks. Uh, but I had such a fantastic experience learning from the conservators, the curators, um, the members of the ICAA or International Center for Arts of the Americas. They're this wonderful digital archive dedicated to Latin American art. And you can find all of their stuff online for free, which is a big bonus for students and researchers of any um, level. They have works or, um, they have documents that are in English, Spanish, French, Portuguese. I think I've seen a couple German on there, but you'll see a lot of English, Spanish, and Portuguese. Um, and if you aren't fluent in a language other than English, they offer synopses and annotations for every single document. And you'll still be able to cite that in your research. 
Um, I actually did a lot of that with this paper because it was, again, it's part of the Museum of Fire Arts Houston collection and it was one that we got to work hands-on with in class. Um, but it was such an amazing experience being able to see this up close and in person. And I hope that if you are able to, you're able to go see it. It's actually, I think they just put it on um, view as part of the new building that MFAH just opened. Of course, I know that there has still been a lot of backlash against that institution because of the way they reopened in the middle of a pandemic. So if you do go, make sure you wear a mask, be respectful of the employees, because at the end of the day, like, you know, they are putting their lives at, at risk to some degree, especially in the Houston area. I, I've been keeping an eye on cases and from what I can see, it, it seems like it has not tabled out and it is still on the rise. I think we're still considered a red zone. Um, but just make sure, whether it's Houston, whether it's New York, whether it's LA, that if you are going out, just make sure you wear that mask. Protect yourself and protect your, your uh, neighbors, others. You know, we want to care about our fellow human beings. And gosh, I'm trying to think about what else I should say about this work. I know it is a bit rushed today. I have quite a bit to do. Um, I'm nearing the end of my semester and I've got three big old papers to finish writing as well as record one presentation and get ready to present for another class. Um, so I do apologize. I know that this might be a little bit disjunctured today. Um, but uh, next week or the week after, I'm going to try and have part two of Carmen Robles. And uh, that was part of my one of the papers that I'm writing. So that's part of the reason why it kind of got pushed to the side between moving and then the family emergency. I, again, I'm really sorry I didn't, uh, I wasn't able to keep up with the episodes, but make sure you follow on social media, on Instagram and Twitter, it's at Artwatch Podcast. Um, if you'd like to submit your art for figure, Figurative Friday and Sculpture Saturday, please send it in to me. You can DM or email me. My email is at, or no, sorry, not at. My email is artwatchpodcast at gmail.com and I know the holiday season is coming up. Within the next two weeks, I'd like to have the patron merch. And there's a website that I'd like to at least upload um, for merch for non-patrons and patrons alike if you'd like to purchase it. Um, but keep an eye out for that. I know I said that like a month or two ago, but I'm going to get it done. And um, yeah, so just a quick reminder, the... Themed days are now Meme Monday. Submit your art history or related memes. It could be history, student stuff, philosophy, something in the humanities that you think is absolutely hilarious. Send it to me. If you made it, let me know. Or if you know the person that made it, let me know. I'll tag you or both. And then if not, great. That's not a big deal. Tuesdays are now going to be Texture Tuesday. We'll get up close and personal with some thick art. And Wednesdays, of course, Art Watch Wednesday. Make sure you're listening on Wednesdays. Thursdays are going to be Theory Thursday, so I'll break down very briefly and quickly um, some sort of theory that's embedded in Latin American art or related to Latin American art or has influenced the production of, of Latin American art. And Friday, Figurative Friday, that's when you can send me some of your work, work of a friend, or just something that you think should be viewed by all. And I will be sure to tag whoever created it. 
Um, Saturday, Sculpture Saturday, same thing. It's just going to be sculptures. Sunday, Selfie Sunday, send me your best museum selfies and make sure if it's you're going out right now that you're wearing a mask. I know that most places you actually need a mask to get into, so be safe. I hope you have a wonderful, wonderful week and weekend. Um, thanks again for waiting two weeks to get this next episode. Um, all right, that's it for now. I'll talk to you next week.